my friends, fellow evolvers and curious people everywhere, welcome to this episode of Being with Sally Wilson. I'm Sally Wilson, and it's a huge pleasure to have as my first guest for 2022, Max Tischler. Welcome, Max. Thanks, Sal. So Max is, now not many people get to say this about themselves, a desert expedition leader and chief scientist. Um, And I had the great privilege, honour, of spending some time with Max in the desert um, last year in 2021. Max, can you just tell us a little bit, how, how how does one start doing work or spending time in the in the desert of all places that's a really interesting question that's uh, probably a fairly long answer but i'll try and abbreviate it um in in this space but when i was going through university i was uh really hell-bent on becoming a marine biologist and i went through all my undergraduate training and so forth at the university of sydney and towards the end of my final year i volunteered on a research program in the eastern simpson desert and it was the first time that I'd spent any time in Central Australia. And mm. it just hooked me from the get-go. And it's one of those ones, I don't know why it hooked me. Um, but it's, uh, it was really pivotal uh, because I went back uh, from the desert to university and changed the entire direction of my degree. And so I then went on to study honours out there and I did a PhD out in the desert. And then um, having worked out there on traditional research projects, I met Andrew Harper, who was walking camels out in the desert. And so we really clicked and the, um, the merging of walking in the desert and scientific research really resonated for me. And so that's how I've been working out there since 2009, ever since, with, with camels. So, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really, that, that, trip for me as an undergraduate was really really pivotal and I think we might probably touch on this a little bit later but the thing that grabs people um, when you visit the expanse that is you know central Australia or any desert region or any sort of immense natural landscape um, is something that draws me back time and time again. Yeah and you say that when you were an undergrad you were it, it got you, like it hooked you and you don't know why, but do you, do you remember the feeling? Do you remember the feeling that you got out there? The it, was, it was completely overwhelming. Yeah. I, I still remember being out there. And, I mean, anyone who's sort of been west of the Great Dividing Range will realise that the horizon to horizon, it's a big, big sky, particularly when you get out into that sort of the red the red center and I think it's that sort of magnitude um, of the landscape and the sky and the the central elemental you know surrounds that you're in just really just kind of drowns you yeah so in in the in the the best kind best kind of way um and so yeah it was I I remember just being really overwhelmed with it and I came back and really couldn't make sense of (laughs) what had happened to me, but it changed my life. Wow. And what was the work that you were doing out there early on, Max? Was it around the, the, the fauna out there? Yeah. So I, that, that trip was in 1997. Um, and then I went back out uh, to do my honours degree 
um, and then worked as a research assistant with the University of Sydney. So with Professor Chris Dickman and Glenda Wardle. And we were looking at, and that project's still going uh, to this day, um, looking at the ecology of the Eastern Simpson Desert. And so we were doing lots of stuff on small mammals and reptiles and birds and invertebrates and everything in between. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's the, the, the arid zone of Australia is so, poorly understood when it comes to understanding its natural history and its ecology and its science and its climate and everything um that um yeah that that uh that that research was um was really remarkable for me and it's it still is and it's kind of something that we've you know taken into um Australian desert expeditions mm -hmm. the camel the camel yeah. and do you think it's poorly understood simply because it's such a harsh um, landscape. Like it's it's just it's really hard to access. Is that partly why it's um, badly understood? I mean, since Indigenous people were living there, um, it's been uninhabited by humans, right? That's right. Yeah, and so I think it is one. One, it's it's a hard place to to live and to work. Um, it's a hard place to go and visit because it's you know it's remote and it's and it's immense. But most of the focus, I think, has been in you know the eastern seaboard and the southwest corner and the top end. The, the middle of Australia just hasn't quite had, you know, apart from you know, there's an amazing sort of suite of, of people that have undertaken studies in natural history um, out there, probably starting from Sturt in the 1840s and all the way through, particularly in the 20th century. But it hasn't um, hasn't received the attention. Um, uh, that you know other parts of Australia has yeah and that's been incredibly detrimental I mean there's been you know uh, some some really terrible outcomes um, in in central Australia in terms of extinction rates of small mammals for example uh -huh. lost and so um, yeah I mean the, the pressing and the urgency to better understand that part of the world is more more evident now than than it ever was right and and so those extinction rates max are they because um because there are i mean there are you know cattle <laughs> um and i mean why, why why are the extinction rates so high out there it's a really great question and it's a pretty complex sort of web that has created that that um that that scene or that picture um you touched on it before when you know um aboriginal people have been living out there for for millennia um, and when um, European contact started making, uh, um, you know, inroads out there, um, that um, you know, people's uh, the traditional um, livelihood and and um, culture that was in that landscape, um, you know, gradually started to be broken down. And mm -hmm. so those people were out there living and loving and managing that country. And that was probably the first the first component where things started to shift. And then, you know, you throw introduced predators in the mix, foxes and cats and of rabbits course. and rabbits especially. They can even live out there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really, really quite remarkable. And then mm -hmm. as you touched on, you know, sort of intensive grazing models uh, through modern agriculture, you know, through another thread on top of that, um, increased fire, wildfires, which again is coupled to the breakdown in Aboriginal society out there. Um, really created a you know a, a tipping point for many animals that are sort of walking a very fine line out there 
you know, the, the yes. Central Australia is defined by this sort of boom-bust dynamic where there's long, long periods of, you know, low yeah. rain, not much rain, and yeah. then all of a sudden you get a big rainfall event like there is happening now. And so things are sort of, you know, oscillating between good and poor periods. And so this knife edge that animals were walking on, um, you know, when you throw those, you know, in increased predation and great yes. grazing pressures, um, you know, many of those animals just got tipped over the edge. It was really catastrophic right yeah I mean I there you know there is obviously a, a lot of fauna out there um that I I wasn't kind of I didn't know what to expect when I went out there to be honest and there is a lot of flora but I'm kind of amazed that there are fires out there like I wouldn't have thought that the the flora would be um you know thick enough for fires to be able to to um to spread there but that's obviously not the case yeah i think that's one of a lot of people's impressions when they visit central australia it's just how vegetated it is maybe that's because people have you know a preconceived idea of the sort of the north african deserts where it's just denude of, mm. of, of vegetation but out there there's there's quite a, a a lot of vegetation particularly those hummock the spinifex hummock grasslands yeah and these are landscapes that have been adapted to fire over time and Aboriginal people would have been living in these landscapes and, and, and utilising fire for different, for different um, management practices. We're not exactly sure how fire was used in the Simpson Desert entirely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the increased um, uh, frequency of wildfires in the last, say, 120 years, and that was probably, you know, since Aboriginal people walked out of the Simpson Desert, mm. um, has created that, you know, that... Um, uh, model where big fire events are coming through, you know, right here and wiping out, you know, big tracts of land that probably wouldn't have happened um, historically because, you know, the, the land would have probably been bought, burnt more frequently on a smaller scale. Yeah, right. And so when you say that the, the Indigenous people um, um, managed the land and, and that was to a certain extent, um, well, it helped, it helped a lot of the um the little animals flourish um sorry i'm i'm just that's what's going on in my head that's not exactly what you said but <laughs> um what other ways did the the indigenous people um manage the land that that you're aware of well ma managing is probably a fairly um very basic concept of how people lived in that that landscape or actually in any landscape in any traditional society mm. um, you know, were intrinsically linked to their landscape. They really couldn't see or didn't see the differentiation between themselves and the land in which they lived. Yeah. And so the way that would, people would interact with their landscape, how they walk through their landscape, how they sung to it, you mm -hmm. know, is all part of that, what you would call management. And so, you know, it's really hard to define how, you know, taking that out of the landscape has mm -hmm. affected has affected you know the environment and the ecology of those those areas because you know that that sort of holistic approach to being in a landscape and yeah. being part of the landscape you know we can't replicate that and so a lot of the and that's one thing that we've really in the last few years have been trying to incorporate into our survey methodology is not just going out there and studying how many plants or animals here or there but you know, how those plants and animals were an integral part of the landscape and, you know, part of the process of, of people living within it and, you know, 
that breakdown, you know, 120 years ago and how we might better, you know, manage those things moving forward. Yeah. And how, how do you, um, I mean, because there has been so little research done in those areas, um, how do you even know what the numbers were like before? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Well, I mean, for some areas that most of the areas that we walk into and, you know, we're certainly the first white people to go into those, those areas because yeah. we're finding sites and locations that are, you know, still intact when people had, had, um, had walked out of the desert, you know, thinking that they would go yeah. back to the next favourable season. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a lot of it is, is, is trying to create and compose a picture of what's there now using mm. historical benchmarking and traditional knowledge to try and get an understanding of how that may have shifted over over time and then make predictions of how it might shift in the future you know with all the you know projected models and climate models and stuff yeah yeah going on so it's a really it's a it's a it's a complex um picture but it's one that you know we're incredibly passionate about because it's a remarkable part of Australia. It's a really important part of Australia yeah. and it needs to be um, um, better cared for than it, it has in the last 200 years. Yeah, yeah. And um, my, my understanding is that um, for people who are not Indigenous, it's really the, the camels that are a game changer in accessing parts of the desert that we couldn't have otherwise. Is, is that the case, Max? Can you just talk to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that, and that was the one thing when I, when I started, you know, working with Andrew and working with our, with our camels is that the way that you interpret a landscape, and I guess that's how, you know, science is, and research is done is trying to interpret a landscape. When you walk a landscape, that, interpretation is completely transformed mm. and particularly when you <clears throat> immerse yourself as you do when you're walking for extended periods of time and some of our treks can go you know up to three or four weeks at a time yeah I mean that that immersion is really um yeah it's 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 something that I haven't been able to you know see replicated in another you know yeah scientific or research research program and I think that's also um, you know why whilst science is the fund foundation in which we do our treks on um, inherent in that is the the sort of spiritual transformation that comes as as part of that and so having the camels and we don't ride the camels as you know um, you know we, they're they're loaded as traditional pack pack animals and so we walk beside them and in many times, you know, are guided by, you know, our magnificent lead camels in terms of how we traverse a landscape. Mm. Um, you know, when we're sort of meandering from one place to the other day after day and week after week, how you see and feel and document the landscape you're, with, you're, you're in um, is, is, is really, really profound. And so I feel incredibly privileged that I have that opportunity to do that because putting one foot in front of the other out there in an immense remote landscape is is is, is pretty special yeah and I mean I've you know I've only just scratched the surface I've only just I've been out sort of once for what, what was it five or six days and and that changed my life um so what what are the sorts of transformations I know that you know when we're looking at 
at somebody changing. We're looking at from the outside. We don't really know what's going on inside that person. But from your point of view, Max, what what have you noticed in people who've been out in the desert with you? That's a really that's a really amazing amazing question because as I said, whilst we're out there to conduct science, um, we're actually a vehicle for, you know, people to have their own personal journey. And so, you know, we take a small number of scientists with us and we're doing our, our, our survey program and we have a small number of paying guests that come along with us. And so those paying guests come out for many different reasons. Some people just want to get away from their day to day and some people interested in camels and some people interested in science and ecology and so forth. But I don't think anyone really is prepared for the journey in which is offered by walking, you know, country for an extended period of time. Mm. And so it's it's interesting to say what sort of changes you see. I think I think when people are taken away from their day to day, you take away all the white noise that is associated with, you know, emails and text messages and the pressures that we put on yeah. ourselves and our working and personal lives. Yeah. And you go out there and all of a sudden you don't have any phone reception. You don't have any phone reception. There's pure silence and, you know, you can just focus on breathing and being. And I think that that is really the sort of the, the doorway in which people can choose to step through or they don't have to step through but I think it's one of those things that it's like when that is the platform that's sent and if people just open themselves up to it that's what I've seen is like people go out there even when they're not expecting to have a transformative experience that you can't help it you know when when you throw off all the stuff that that we deal with um and surround ourselves with and just are out there being um, I think you can't help but have, you know, some yeah. kind of some kind of journey. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, I mean, I just remember lying in the in the swag one night, Max, and I was I was really fortunate in that it was full moon when when I was out with you guys, and I had never seen a moon like that. And I and I, I just you know that. They're, lo- they're long, hot days, like they're quite physically demanding. But I was so um, fascinated and affected by the moon that I didn't want to sleep. And I was just watching this moon move across the sky. It was so bright. It mm. was just, you know, it's very hard to articulate those sorts of experiences. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's also, I remember one day as I was walking along thinking when people ask me what, what, what it's been like, what am I actually going to say? <laughs> and why did I love it so much? Um, and that's hard to articulate as well. You know, um, it's because it's experiential. You, you can't, um, maybe it's my, my um, you know, l- lack of eloquence as well, but, <laughs> but, but it's very hard to put into words those sorts of experiences. And, 
you know, because, you know, there are lots of flies and it's hot and you're walking a long way and, you know, you're sweaty and you're stinky. And there's all of this really basic kind of just, you know, discomfort of being in a human body stuff going on as well. (laughs) I think, I think you, I think you, you, you really touched on it a good point there because it's experiential uh, i think it's one of those things it's it's very similar to explaining a dream to someone hmm. and it's like you can walk someone through it and give them the detail and that sort of thing but unless you have had a similar you know experience it's it's a very it's a difficult difficult thing to convey but also to to connect to connect on yeah and i mean also that you know that it, it is it's physically it's 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 difficult um, and emotionally, it can be very difficult, and psychological, psychologically, it can be be difficult as well. I mean, when you, you know, for many people, that's their first time into a desert area, mm. and they're surrounded by generally a small group of people that they might be unfamiliar with, um, and you are there. And as you know, you know, ever it's it's. It's uh, everyone participates in the day-to-day running of the camp, and so you know people are standing there in front of this beast that's a thousand kilos, looking up at them, holding holding their lead rope, going. <laughs> and and, 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 I, and I, I think that you see that in the first couple of days, where people are just like, "What am I doing out here?" Yeah, well, I remember that. Swatting <laughs> flies away and all that sort of stuff, but I, I really think I think that that is that sort of that there's an element of discomfort mm. will then make you take that step through the door yeah. or sort of peek behind the veil. Yeah. And I think for those people that are kind of like standing there with that sort of element of apprehension, there's an, there's a, there's an incredible amount of empowerment to then go, you know what, I'm going to surrender to this. Mm. I'm going to step through the door. And yeah. you can see that. And I think that's probably the one thing that I find incredibly fascinating is that the facilitation that our program has to empower people to, to do that. It's not, yeah. it's not why we're out there, but it's one of those things that invariably happens where people are out there, they're, they don't know what's going on, and then by the end of it, they are just so comfortable in themselves, they're comfortable with the camels, they're comfortable with the environment that they've had. It's, it's, I guess it's very similar to sort of Maslow's peak experience mm. you know mm. and then his, his revised version yes yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's, right. that's right um and and uh, and I, I think then you know when you ha- you have that sort of personal journey um which is then coupled with mm. you know the aesthetic experience yeah. um that that landscape offers you yeah um there's there's a really potent you know mix for people to to, to have yep yep 100% the epiphany or whatever you know whatever it is the breakthrough that 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 might happen and I, I guess I use breakthrough reservedly because people mm. aren't necessarily out there wanting to have a breakthrough breakthrough but I think it's one of those things people are drawn out there for a for a reason and I think you know those people that are willing to surrender to the yep. process and the journey will have that you know yeah and yeah, and that's that's the thing when you when you head out there, it, it it's um, a wonderful thing to go without expectations because I, I mean I found personally that I only realised how much it had changed me once I got back home, 
And I felt so grounded and so, um, I was going to say slow. <laughs> slow is not quite what I mean, but, but, you know, the peripheral stuff was still on the periphery, you know, before it kind of intruded much into my life. Um, and I didn't really want to be around people that much. Um, and my dog responded. I mean, my dog was just like, you know, I, I, he was so relaxed. And, and that's something also that struck me, particularly um, with you and Andrew Harper too, um, was just how, I wish I could come up with another word, but just how grounded you were when you were working with the camels, not only working with the camels, but this is, this is quite unusual, but you are also like that with the humans. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that you guys um, are aware of, but just that level of vumph, energy is dropped. There's, the, there was very little of that kind of what I think of as kind of, well, it's the high beta sort of day-to-day -day energy that most of us um, function on. I'm talking about brainwave, um, you know. Um, it, was, it was really quite remarkable to see that and then realise that you were coming into sync, that I was coming into sync with that. Mm. Mm. I, I, yeah, that's it's certainly not a deliberate thing. Oh, it might, it's, it's a deliberate thing with how we work with animals and anyone yeah. who has worked with animals understands that there's a, there's a tone and an approach that, that um, uh, is, is appropriate to, to, to a work, you know, working with particularly large, large animals. Yeah. And I think that um, is just reflective of how you need to be in the landscape. And I guess if it sort of does sort of um, sort of, you know, transgress in terms of how we all react with each other and, you know, within, within the group is, is probably because there's a great leveler out there, you know, and it's one, one thing is that we're all an integral component of each and every expedition. Yeah. And so, you know, whilst we rely on the camels, the camels rely on us and, and, and same with the same with the guests. It's, yeah. it, um, we, we don't get anything, we don't get anywhere if, 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 if people aren't that cog in the, in yeah. the machine that, that we've become. And it's, it is a bit of an organism when we're walking, you know, when we're working and walking and living as a group Yeah. Um, that, you know, we all just, that's the most efficient way of, of, um, of moving through yeah. that landscape. And it's, 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 you haven't. I haven't really heard it articulated as as such, but yeah, there's there is a there is a a deliberate way in which we work with the camels. But it, yeah, I'm, I guess it maybe does does sort of um, shift into way you know the ways that we work with each other. Yeah, um, and and one of the the great joys of of the trip for me also, Max, was that I mean I I um happened to once I sort of settled in after the first day or so I, I happened to stay in the um in position with the same string of camels and and mostly at the back with the same camels each day and I loved that and we got to know each other it's just that walking 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 and they got to trust me and I got to trust them I mean maybe I'm kidding myself but that's what it felt like um 
and and just sensing that relationship develop and particularly with some you know one camel amadeus who 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 was considered a little bit sensitive <laughs> as you would be if you called amadeus you know um just just noticing that after a couple of days he was okay with me um putting his saddle on and stuff like this and and just the joy that that it's such a simple joy um, but just starting to understand, I mean, one of also, you know, like you said, camels are huge. And I, I had seen camels before and I'd been close to them, but a long time before I, I did the trip. And just you're confronted with this massive animal and they make these noises that at the start I didn't understand. I was like, I don't know what the hell, I don't know what this is a sign of. I don't, I don't get it yet. But by the end... You're starting to understand what those noises <laughs> mean, you know, and, and they're different for each camel. Yeah. Uh, it's just when you're talking about it, I mean, we have, you know, personal relationships with each of those camels. And it's mm. like when you talk about a specific one like Amadeus and you think, oh, army boy. It's, um, <laughs> you know, it's, and, and it's one of those things it's that because all of our camels have been caught out of the wild and have been broken in and so forth, there is a, a you know, um, a real element of trust that is developed. Um, and, and certainly the way that we work with the camels is all a trust-based, yeah. um, you know, um, program more or less in that we, you know, there's no point making, a, trying to make a camel do something that they don't want to no. do. It's developing, <laughs> developing that relationship. And like you're saying, you're like with army, it's like he gets a little bit, you know, a little bit sensitive. And it's one of those things where it's like you just breathe with him and develop that relationship with him, just like we develop relationships with all the other camels that all have their own, you know, sensitivities and their own characters. And they're much like, you know, they're much like dogs in terms of they're unique and have their own sort of quirks and, and personalities. And so, yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the other things that I really love about what we do. And I can see some people who have never had anything to do with camels before, just like it just that relationship just sometimes grabs people and everyone develops their own favorite. And, and um, yeah, I, I think, I think also that that may be another key component to people just sort of dropping in and allowing themselves to be part of the environment. And it's when you sort of like you hit the same wavelength um, as an animal, as a, you know, as a camel, yeah. incredibly stoic, incredibly patient mm. animals. Yeah. I think that that is probably also a really key component and people just you know being very deliberate with the way that they are in the landscape yeah and um you know to be it, it's it's also can you just um just touch on the extraordinary heritage that the afghan cameleers um you know that that we're tapping into here max can you just talk about talk about that a little bit yeah, and that's it's something we're incredibly proud of because mm. we're the last the last desert walkers that are using traditional pack camels to traverse landscapes. Mm. So camels were brought into Australia predominantly. There was a few brought in prior to 1860, but there was a large number, of, well, not a large number, 20 or odd that were brought in for the Birkin Wills expedition in 1860. And whilst, as we know, that there was you know a lot of calamity associated with that mm. that. Um, that exploring party, what it did demonstrate was the camels were incredibly uh, well suited for working and walking and 
in arid Australia. And yeah. so between 1860 and the early 1900s, um, a large number of camels were brought into Australia that we used to establish rail lines, telegraph lines, servicing outstations, townships and so forth. Yeah. Um, and with those camels came in a remarkable and very diverse group of people from the subcontinent predominantly mm. um, that are often referred to as the you know, Afghan cameleers. Um, but they were, you know, right from a whole range of, of areas uh, oh. in, um, in the subcontinent. Right. And predominantly of, uh, um, of the Islamic faith. Yeah. It's one of those is remarkable when you visit some outback towns and there's, you know, date palms and mosques and bathing pools and all sorts mm. of stuff, which are remnants of that, that um, Muslim uh, tradition. Yeah. And so those, uh, and that's one of the sort of long, often forgotten parts of the Australian pioneering history. It was the contribution that those people and their camels made to the exploration of, of Central Australia. Yeah. Um, and then in the early 1900s, when motor vehicles were introduced to Australia, um, you know, those camel trains that had been servicing all those areas um, more or less became redundant. Mm. So, um, whilst there was a, a, a Camel Destruction Act that was introduced, um, and many of those cameleers, um, you know, obviously because they had such remarkable relationships with their working animals, they, um, they set them free. And it's why today we have such a huge number of, of, uh, of feral camels in Australia, mm. uh, which are di direct descendants of those camels that were released into the wild back in the 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, until the, the early uh, 1970s that Rex Ellis actually started, you know, um, looking back into that history and started, and he created that, that camel company, which is the company that we are now running um, works with, which is um, so it's a direct lineage from one that um, uh, that Afghan cameleering history, but also Rex was another one of those people that I alluded to earlier, those remarkable men and women that you know back in the 19, uh, 1950s, 60s, 70s, um, you know, started taking real interest in Central Australia, and it's you know, yeah what's turned into, I guess, now the, the recreational boom. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, we're incredibly proud of, you know, and it's one, one thing because we are really the last, there's, there are other companies that are, you know, sort of walking and taking camel rides and working along the fringes of the deserts. We're the last one that are really walking the deserts proper and, and, um, and doing it for scientific purposes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was first, um, told about uh, the the expeditions that you guys run through a mutual friend of ours who will be listening to this and she said she can't wait um I just assumed that we'd be riding them <laughs> and she said no 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 we're walking <laughs> I'm like that okay all oh, right okay yeah well that that does change things and as you say when when you're walking and you've got those animals beside you you're you, you can't get you can't get closer to the landscape than that. Yeah. You really and I, I, think, I think it's that temporal aspect too in mm. terms of the pace mm. that you take things and the, the, how you traverse the landscape and the, the walking pace that you have. I think that's, that's really critical to, you know, 
yeah what what our expeditions do really yeah so this may be a question that's impossible to answer but how do you feel I know that you're a, a Joseph Campbell um fan um and you've obviously read a lot more of him than, than than I have I've got this um you know reflections on the art of living sitting sitting right here because I knew I'd be talking <laughs> to you um is there anything that you've learned from reading Joseph Campbell that has become an experience apparent through your time in the desert um, and with the camels? Yeah, this will be a hard question mm. to answer, but I think you, you touched on a component of it just earlier when you said when I returned home, it really things started to, to sink in mm. and you know I, I, you know at the one of the 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 main doctrines of, of of Joseph Campbell's thinking and his writings was that cyclical journey you know the, the calling mm. you know, the journey outwards the experience and then the return home you know mm. that sort of cyclical journey which I think he he really he took from from Jungian theory more or less, but that cyclical, you know, the departure and the return, beginning, yeah. the end, the alpha, omega. I think that is something that really, for a lot of people, you know, and Joseph Campbell called it the hero's journey, which is now, you know, the hero heroine's journey. But that I think is a, a big part of that cyclical nature of our treks is, you know, people leaving home. Mm having the experience and then returning home. But that's also replicated in the day-to-day -day sort of circadian rhythm that we have mm -hmm. and the way that we work with our camels. And, you know, the way that, again, if people who have worked with working animals understand that there's a routine and a discipline that's associated with the routine that those animals will respond to. Yeah. So, you know, we get up in the morning, the camels go out for a feed, we load, we walk, we unload, they go out for a feed, we go to bed. And there's that circadian rhythm that I think really um, comes into effect and is experienced on, on, on any given day, you know, mm -hmm. particularly when it's, it's directly related to when the sun rises and when the, the sun sets. And I think there's that elemental component, that circular rhythm that we 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 get into out there which i think is something that that joseph Kendall talks a lot about is that that mm -hmm. um you know that circular thing which is so present in the mythology of so many world you know cultures of the world is that the element of the circle you know yeah. symbol of the circle is so so potent and so important and i think that is experienced um you know in our expeditions and i, I think a lot of again People get that glimpse, you know, it's whether you walk, you go through the doorway or you, whether you go through the veil or, you know, you look behind the mask and that's, you know, there's not many masks out there. It's, it's not really anywhere to hide. Yeah. And I think that is where that, you know, there's the ability to have a transcendental kind of experience where you have that physical peak experience which is then melded with the aesthetic that kind of gives you a glimpse into the potentiality of oneself, but also of the universe. Yeah. And I, it, it's, 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 that's, uh, and I think that's as close as I can come to is why I keep 
or why I wanted to go back in 1997 and why my life, life shifted is because I got a glimpse of what lies behind everything else. And so I think Central Australia, and again, this can be experienced in any sort of landscape or any sort of place that you're able to immerse yourself in is where you're allowed to sort of just sit and get that feeling of what lies beyond, you know, that, that bigger, that bigger meaning. And Joseph Campbell had that, has that amazing saying, it's like people aren't necessarily looking for the meaning of life. They're looking for the feeling of being alive. And mm. I think when you sit in that landscape, you, you're so nurtured and you have that space where you can truly feel alive because you just have this sort of sensual experience and you can feel, you know, the higher dimension. And it, 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 it's, it's, I'm not a particularly religious person, person but I would say that being out there has made me a far more spiritual person yeah 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 it's I I, thank you for for bringing Joseph Campbell into it because it's probably been why he is without doubt my favorite author and scholar and I see his work everywhere in my two Mm. boys in my work especially out there yeah um and that the experience that you were describing, um, the, the the spiritual sort of experience out in the desert that that Joseph Campbell describes, just the fact that I mean I could see you re-experiencing it as you were describing it to us. Um, is it the case that the more time you spend out out there in the desert? the more easily you're able to bring that experience back with you or access it inside you rather than being reliant on the landscape to prompt it in you? That's a really fantastic question. And it's, it's one of those things that when you get back and you touched on it, that it's really difficult when you get back mm. because, you know, when you when you come back to where most of us are these days we fill our lives up with so much stuff that it's really hard to then be able to tap back into that feeling or that experience i i try and and bring that back with me but we live in such a weird almost sort of metaphorical existence where social media and let's just we can I'll I'll just leave it there as social media in terms of in terms but just in terms of the expectations and the world in which we live and how we see things and you know is is really just odd it's it's really odd and and particularly it's odd because when you look at it with the parameters into in on which you actually need to be and exist which is so clear out in the desert because you're stripped back and you really don't need all this other stuff Mm. So yeah, it's it is it's one of those things. I I, I have a really um, um, I guess a fairly basic way of trying to trying to capture and and recreate that when I get home is that I I try and make sure that I see or acknowledge the sunrise and sunset when I'm back at home. I live on the east coast mm. in a in in another sort of really beautiful area, but I think that acknowledgement of that natural rhythm 
yeah. and you know that that um that immense energy that's around us day to day i think is something that is as close as i can get to replicating the feeling out there and then mm. having that you know nourish you internally um yeah. which is incredibly hard um but you know important for me personally anyway yeah max thank you so much for for having this conversation with me with us the listeners as well um i, I really um appreciate all that you've brought to it you know you've brought your whole self to to the conversation um so thank you uh, you're so welcome Sal. I, I feel like yeah it's it's one of those things I kind of I, I do I, whenever I talk about you know the desert when I'm not in the desert it it really transports me mm. back there and it's a it's an incredible it's it, the irony being is that as hard and as harsh as the environment is it's an incredibly nurturing place and I think maybe some of the stuff that we've touched on today might be evidence of how that might might be but um yeah. yeah it's been a real pleasure because yeah I've you've taken me back to that <laughs> back, <laughs> back to that back to that space so yeah it's been a real pleasure and thank you for offering me the opportunity to sit down and chat to your lovely self again <laughs> thanks Max and look if, if there are listeners out there who are thinking oh god I, I want to find out more about the research or more I'd like to go I'd like to look into this further how how would they do that um, we have websites and all sorts of stuff that people can, can visit. I might, um, uh, send you some links out that you might want to put on, yep. um, on your, on your platforms to be able to get people in the, the, the right direction. And yep. I think it's one of those things. I think if people are looking for this, they'll, they'll find it. Yeah. Yep. Well, Max, thank you once again. It's been such a pleasure in so many ways um and and listeners thank you for being a part of this conversation as well and for being a part of this community and um you know feel free to share this episode with other people you think would benefit from it um or would be interested as well um and uh feel free also to follow us on social media um, that's at I am Sally Wilson on Instagram, Facebook, and I will um, I will definitely post some links um, to the the desert expeditions and to uh, Max's work as well um, in research for anyone who's interested in looking into that further. So um, I'll look forward to meeting with you all over the waves next time. <laughs>